Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm Jack Smith, joined by Chris Trevino and Shotgun Spratling, bringing you the recap show from USC's 66-14 win over the Rice Owls. Guys, recapping the game. That was great. And where do you start with that game, Chris? Where, where, where should we start here? I mean, uh, the fact that they put up 66 points for the first time since 2008 uh, I think is probably the, the most notable thing to come out of the game if you're just looking at the, the line score on it. Uh, then when you start kind of breaking it down, there's so many different aspects to look at. But uh, I think my biggest observation was it just looked like a completely different team. It was a fun team is what I would say. I, I remember I was on the sideline. I turned to Keeley and I was like, covering USC football can be fun. <laughs> I think this was after the third pick six or whatever you what what whichever one that was, but yeah, I think it was just a really fun game for a fan to go to. You know, after last season in the Coliseum, you know, all those historic losses, those beatdowns, it was a drag of a season, and then to come out in a hundred degree heat, you know, sixty thousand plus fans came out to support the team, made noise, energy, student section was loud. They rewarded with a. Just a really fun environment and a good product on the field, whether it was a crisp offense or a defense, you know, that had some issues, but for the most part performed only held, held rice to 14 points. And then obviously a Pac-12 record three uh, pick sixes, which is just kind of unheard of in a game uh, in a game in general. So just so much fun out, out there for, for fans and the team was just having a lot of fun on the sidelines. You could see that that kind of brotherhood coming out. And I think it was a great debut for Lincoln Riley and this uh, transfer team, you know, this this Frankenstein team of parts put together and they put on a good show. When you look at it too, it, it felt almost like, I know it's the very beginning of the Lincoln-Riley era, but it's also a culmination uh, of of the anticipation leading up to this and the fan energy and excitement. And, you know, I'm stopping by tailgates and Mark Sanchez is out there passing out mess call shots and stuff. You know, everyone is just super excited about things that are going on around the program. You can feel that energy, you know, going around the tailgates and whatnot, even though, you know, it was, the attendance was probably dampened a little bit by the heat. Uh, you saw that much more evident across town at UCLA where, the, you know, they really struggled with attendance and 
you know, they actually pay people to go to the game by giving them 25 bucks back uh, today for the people that were in attendance. Uh, Shot to fired. Account. No, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I want to get paid to go to games. Kinda you we, do, we do get paid to go to realize what <laughs> exactly. you just Realize what you just said. And speaking of that, you just jumped right into the game. We didn't even talk about how it's me and you here. Not Ryan. I thought it was yeah. going to be a, a that four-man show. Is the Helium Boys <laughs> podcast. Not podcast, sorry. Helium Boys Tunnel Vision, which I think we've only done like once maybe. Um, so I was not expecting that when I walked in. I was a little bit late, so I'm a little bit frazzled to jump off, <laughs> to jump things off. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about a win and an exciting win. And I know there's probably going to be a lot of questions and people want to talk about a lot of things. There's so many storylines in this game. Pick sixes. Uh, is the run defense good? Solo getting a sack. Austin Jones is a beast. Relique Brown is a beast. Hitting him with the Heisman. There's just so many fun things. Caleb Williams, so proficient. That offense, so clean. There's just a lot of things that we could talk about uh, for this uh, for this uh, for last for Saturday's performance. Usually, we were usually stuck to talking about. What went wrong? <laughs> it was the same thing every time. And how good we've, Drake London was. Yes. Yeah. We've got a ton to talk about today. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure you guys are leaving your comments. We're also taking live calls today, so make sure that you're calling into 5124-TUNNEL. Make sure you guys are leaving your live calls. We'll answer those later on in the show, as well as leave your comments. Leave them on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We'll be able to put them on the screen and respond to them. Also, uh, USCfootball.com VIP membership, 75% off for the rest of the weekend. So much great talk. You don't want to go anywhere else for your USC football coverage. So make sure that you latch on 75% off for the rest of the weekend. Now, guys, there was so much great to talk about. I don't know where you guys want to start. You kind of have to start, though, with the three pick sixes. I just thought the defense was was incredible, swarming around the ball. Of course, they weren't perfect. They were gashed a little bit on runs up the middle early on. The pass coverage wasn't incredible. Third downs were a little bit of a question mark early on, but I think that this defense was so energetic and, and swarmed the ball much more than we saw throughout the entire Clay Helton era. Yeah, I think the energy that you saw on the defense was something to take away. Um, you know, don't put too much stock in the first drive, the third down. You know, they made some adjustments there. Harvey Hyde talked about it a little bit on the podcast. If you guys haven't listened to that one, about some of the things that they did to be a little bit more aggressive up front, because early they were trying to do some stunts and stuff, and you know they're kind of dropping the linebackers back and playing, you know, kind of that that coverage where you you know bend but don't break type of coverage. They got a little bit more aggressive, but also. I know everyone. How much did, have we heard people complain about Corey Foreman or Drake Jackson dropping into coverage in the past? Two of those interceptions, at least, came on, uh, you know, came with zone pressures where Corey Foreman was dropping into coverage on one. I think Romello Hype may be on the other one. I have to go back and look at it again. But, you know, Eric Gentry comes free as a free rusher because they had a, a zone pressure on with Corey Foreman dropping. And that was the Shane Lee interception return for a touchdown. Um, and then I, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head, uh, the who was dropping on Raylan Goforce interception. But the same thing, you get pressure. Pressure then creates, you know, the the misplay where the where Nick Figueroa first you get Corey Foreman with the pressure off the edge, then Nick Figueroa hits the quarterback, ball just goes right to rather and go forth, and he takes it to the house. And that's what you have to do is make those adjustments early, you know. And sometimes you're going to give up a drive early. Now you get gashed on the one run on that second drive, then you didn't do anything. They didn't do anything else in that. And after rewatching that uh, that highlight, I don't know if anyone noticed, but Kalen Bullock probably makes that tackle at ten yards deep. Instead of whatever it was, sixty yards deep, if the referee wasn't in the way, yep, he, he comes up to the referee and kind of puts his hand on the referee and then has to readjust and give credit to him for chasing down a guy who you know was even with him, gets a couple of yards on him, and then it's like a uh, I think it was a fifty yard sprint to basically catch up with with the the running back. 
tackles him, and then three plays later, you know, the ball ends up in his hands, a tip ball off McCaffrey's hands and takes it to the house and shows the athleticism, making a, making a move on, on the run there. But and he, just watching him was fun. I've only made it through most of the first half of the high, of the my rewatch, but just the way he closes on some plays, he just flies up on there. And it's all the things that we – we know he's been capable of, but he's just starting to put it together more and more consistently. Uh, and, and just seeing that in that first game gives you thoughts of, of what could be for the rest of the season. Now we'll see what it looks like against some, you know, more difficult opponents that are going to probably scheme around him a little bit because he's going to be the, one of the stars on the defensive side for USC. Would you believe he wasn't a preseason honorable mention <laughs> selection? Would you believe that shotgun? I would believe that just because you have brought it up multiple times, Chris. Couldn't uh, get four votes. Come on. I don't know what the deal is, but I tweeted about it, that play specifically, just the effort. And that's something mm -hmm. that Alex Grinch has pre preached all uh, offseason, that effort. Get to the ball, 11 hats to the ball. And, you know, Kalen makes an incredible effort play just to chase that guy down, even though he had some uh, some obstacles in his way <laughs> being a zebra to make go down there, save a touchdown. You're thinking, okay, they're at the whatever, the 15-yard the, the line. They can get in for some points, mm -hmm. but you, you go ahead and make it so it's not make them count in threes, as Lincoln Riley liked to say. So at least you can hold them possibly to a field goal. That that's the start of the effort and trying to get, stop a big play. And then it's a fourteen point swing because he's rewarded with that ninety three yard pick six going the other way. And I saw somebody kind of complain about the pick sixes and the interceptions. Like, yeah, a lot of those were tipped. They, they weren't really making a play. Excuse me? It still takes a lot to make a play, even if it's a tip drill. That's why they practice them in practice. You see specific drills working on tip drills. So hats off to them. Yes, it's a little bit easier when it's a tip drill. It's a tip and it's coming right to you. But to still, to be able to have the awareness, the concentration, and then the playmaking to just get it in the end zone. Yeah. Uh, is you know hats off to that defense and that that effort of of making those plays happen. I mean Shane Lee talking about what, what, what was his quote? You know the only thing going through his mind is don't, don't get, get caught. caught, don't get caught, <laughs> and that's that's true of a linebacker. Um, and yes, the the first one was tipped, but you're forcing the quarterback to roll left on that play, and then you kind of put him in that situation where he's throwing on the run and you're trying to hit a receiver that's on the run with I think Eric Gentry was out there on that play, so you have a six six defender in the way. Um, and trying to get the ball around him. So these are the things that happen. It's not just like the guy was in there, he had a clean pocket, had all this time, and it's not the throw that JT Daniels made that went right off the receiver's hands right to him. And then, you know, the the uh, Shane Lee one, you have pressure. The Raylan Goforth one, you Corey have Foreman pressure. Coming off the edge. I actually thought he got the sack because I was uh, <laughs> tracking it, and I my my dumb self was looking at the, the sack. I was like, wait, he doesn't have the ball. Here a giant uh, scream going ahead, pan left, Boom, Raylan's coming at me. So, you know, hats off to, to Corey. I believe he tweeted out he had four pressures on the day. But, you know, they were getting some pressures. Not a ton of sackage, sackage from that front seven. You know, Latrell McCutcheon got a sack. Tyrone Teleni got a sack. I think Eric Gentry and uh, uh, Solo uh, co-sacked co together. But, you know, Romel Height obviously got ejected. Corey Foreman didn't come up with a sack. But... They were still getting him. Nick Figueroa, I thought, a couple really good pressures. They were still getting into the backfield and kind of causing problems. So Latrell McCutcheon, that was the other zone pressure that I remember, not the not a, the interception with Shane Lee or the interception with Raylan Goforth. That was just straight Corey yeah. Foreman coming off the edge. And Corey Foreman was in on a sack. Uh, Jamar Sakona's Jamar Sakona has him wrapped up, and Corey Foreman comes and finishes it. 
could have been given a half sack, and then maybe that appeases some people because we had a lot of a lot of comments about Corey Foreman, and that's why I wanted to look up and see, you know, what do you do as far as pressures? Because you know, I can't track all that in my head as as they're going. I kind of see some plays and try to remember them, and that's why I have to rewatch everything to kind of get a better feel for it um, on Sundays. But you know. He led the team with four pressures. Now, did he get the highlight play? No, but he helped create that turnover. And that's the thing is you're not always going to be the person to get the sack because uh, sometimes if you're the first person there, you create the sack for someone else. So, And also, Nick Figueroa didn't get the sack on that play, but he also created the play for the interception for uh, Rillen Goforth on that one. Um, so that's a team defense, and right. that's what you need. And they, you know, at the early in the game, they weren't getting a ton of, of pressure. There were a lot of quick throws, yep. and the throws were over the middle. And as USC started being a little more, you know, just straightforward with their pass rush, I think they realized this was like, we can just run by these guys, run through and by them. Let's stop doing the stunts. Let's stop doing the twists. We don't have to fool them as much, because especially because of the quick passing game that Rice was attempting, that let's stop with that, just attack. And you see you know, Solomon Tuliala-Pupo on his is basically just a bull rush. He just runs over the, the tackle and then sheds him and comes inside and trips up the quarterback. Eric Gentry finishes him off. So you know, it was great to see Solo. I, I think he had 11 snaps total, six pass rushes, and three of them were pressures. And that was just him being aggressive, yeah. attacking straight ahead, not doing anything fancy, not trying to do a spin move, not you know, not, not doing a double move, nothing like that. Just attacking and saying we're better than these guys. And I think that was a an adjustment USC made. Now, when they face a better offensive line, how is how are they going to adjust then? And that's when you go, okay, there are some concerns with the defense, and there's some things that they need to clean up. You know, the the long run, even though Kalen Bullock. Potentially could have made the play with if the referee wasn't there. The referee was. You had two linebackers get in the same gap yep. that created the crease. Romello Height got swept inside on the play, and that opened up that lane to go through. You had Max Williams in his position where he needed to be, and he was really good in this game as well. Uh, from what I've watched in the first half, just attacking against some runs. You just, I wish that kid was about four inches taller. Because he's a first-round draft pick, he just, the yeah. instincts he has, just attacking to read, he just reads the, the offensive line, the you know the offense, what they're doing so well, and just fires downhill. He makes a lot of plays at three or four yards that most safeties make at seven or eight yards. You make a tackle, and oh, they gain some yards, so no one thinks, oh, that's a great play. But you've saved three or four yards along the way, and that's something you know that I'm looking forward to continuing watching throughout the season. It's just it's great to see him back. Great to see Solomon Tuliyalapupu back. Uh, so you know, it was it was fun to watch the defense, even though they weren't you know the execution wasn't flawless. But the effort was, uh, you know, I think that was the big thing. The effort was there. Then that was the big thing they've harped on. And it's the first game in a new system. You're going to have some things you got to clean up, and we'll see how they can do that next week. They got a little bit of a, you know, kind of a trial run with the style of offense that Stanford may run. Stanford's going to do a little bit more throwing to the outsides with the big receivers and different things. But what do you learn from this game that you can apply next week? That'll be the interesting part for me. I think a lot of people are going to mention it was just Rice or the defense only got the picks it was off the hands of the receivers. But that's something we haven't seen the last couple of years from USC against UNLV and San Jose State. We've seen a lot of playing down to the opponents. This time, I think you did what the good teams are supposed to do is when you play a team like this, you make it hurt. 66 to 14. I think that while fans are going to talk about the fact it was Rice, I don't know. I think that they, it was good to see them not play down to their opponent and instead just 
not keep the brakes on either and and really turn it up in the second half. 28 points in the third quarter after averaging under six points throughout the entire third quarter last that. year. That's just huge. Uh, I didn't even think about the third quarter points that we never saw last year. Um, and defense does it first, so <laughs> you know it's not quite the same. But um, you know, the the thing with those tipped interceptions is. Even if they were tipped, like how many times do we see that last year or the year before that? Like there were tips, and people were, oh, you don't don't make the play. Also, you're in the right spot to help out and make yep. the play. Yeah, I mean, 2020, I can think of one off the top of my head uh, where I think it was Max Williams tips the ball in the end zone against UCLA, maybe, and uh, you know Talano Hufunga lays out, can't make the play, and suddenly that game is down to the wire. USC has to make a, a last second play. You know those type of plays. You know, and there is turnover luck and all that into it, so you can't rely on being able to make those type of plays. But those are plays that they didn't weren't making in the past, and some of that goes to confidence and just yeah. seeing this players, the energy, enthusiasm. One, you want to make plays because you want to be out in the field, and there is so much competition going on right now with the as much um, rotation as we saw on Saturday. But all, so you want to make a play to make sure that you're still out there, but also just the energy and confidence that everyone seemed to be playing with, uh, you, you know, really stood out to me. And I don't know about you, Chris, since you haven't been necessarily on the sideline in the past, but just it, it felt different down there. You know, seeing the the hype around the the players themselves, how they were kind of uh, you know just energetic, Eric Gentry yelling and screaming, you know, Shane Lee making some plays and kind of growling after them, uh, you, you know, things that. You would see in the past, and it felt more. It wasn't organic. It felt more like uh, someone was, you know, posing. You know, wanted to get that picture right. rather than you know just being super excited to be out there and showing that energy. So it, that's the way it came off to me. I don't know if it felt any different to you. You know, your first time being down the sideline in a while. You mean celebrating on a tackle thirty yards down the field? <laughs> Things that like may that may have happened a yeah, time or two. May have happened, but yeah, I, I totally agree that that energy and that confidence and that bravado felt more organic. And I'm sure a lot of that confidence go goes from playing that USC offense every week in practice. You know, you feel like you're going against one of the best offenses in the nation all week in practice. You step onto that field Saturday thinking, hey, no offense can can go against us. And I'm going against Caleb Williams. I'm going against Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, these running backs. I'm going against them Monday through Friday. Saturday is going to be easy. So I, I assume a lot of that confidence comes from that and that, you know, that swagger that Alex, Alex Grinch likes to impose on these guys and, you know, that effort and that strain we talk about. And it was just nice to see it out on the field because we, we've heard that before about, about past defenses and we didn't really see it on the field. We saw maybe 60% of it or, or sometimes 30% of it or, or not even any percent of it. But to see it out on the field, you know, maybe they did give up some plays, but they always seem to bounce back mentally. And that bendo break mentality, you know, you don't want that all the time, but to see, sometimes it's going to happen. And you're going to need to, 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 to fight through that. And I think this team showed a lot of fight. This defense showed a lot of fight doing that. Now, as we said, this is Rice. They've, only won, they've won like six games in the last four years or something like that. And they're going to face much better opponents, much better offenses. But it's a nice additional confidence boost. You can go in like, yeah. look, look what we did. We, we shut these guys down. You know, we made some mistakes, but we came right back. We made the adjustments. We made some big plays. We could be a playmaking defense. You know, it's just not all on the offense. So that's just an additional confidence boost for these guys moving forward into a big road game against Stanford. And, yeah, I think it's just a really good debut overall. And, you know, you gain – you learn a lot, and you would much rather learn about your team with a win, and you would much rather learn and find things to coach up 
from a big blowout win because right. then you get those backups in. Justin Dedich said it after the game. He said, you know, uh, good programs, you know, find a way to to blow out teams that they're you know they should blow out so that those second string guys get opportunities. So we see the Mason Murphys and hey, Mason Murphy makes a penalty on his first play. Well, it, it's in a game where the, the score is already, you know, what was it, 59 to 14. But he learns from that. Rather than him being thrown in because, you know, someone's helmet pops off or, you know, someone rolls an ankle or gets rolled up from behind and suddenly he goes in and it's a, you know, a four-point game and he goes in and, and now that penalty stalls a, draw, a drive out in the third quarter of a much more important game. Those are the type of experiences that weren't happening previously. So I thought that was a really interesting quote from Justin Needage. And he knows. As a guy sure, who was yeah. on the backup a long time, he was probably waiting to say that for a long time. Like, <laughs> hey, man, I sat for like three, four years trying to get into a game. I want to pass it on to the next guys. Let's get these guys in. I know how important it is. So that's what I felt when I was listening to him say that. And and he's like, oh, now we're going to do it? Now that I'm a starter, <laughs> I'm I don't even get to, I don't even get to play every, every snap of the game like the guys before me? And I think he was okay with it. The other good, great quote from Justin Dedich was uh, him saying, you know, I'm kind of used to seeing fans leave before the end, but it's different because now it's because we're blowing out a team rather than being blown out. So Justin can't win either way. Either way, <laughs> they're just leaving on him. Either way, they're but obviously the latter is the the most important one. And it was really hot. I know a lot of people were defending that on on social media. It was really hot, guys. You guys were up. It was really hot. Trying to beat the traffic. I get it. I get it. But that's that's the the good side of the flip side. Yeah. I mean, talk about Justin Didich being get into the offense a little bit too. The defense, I, I thought, did a great job bouncing back the second half. Like we mentioned, the drills that we see in the first twenty minutes are the exact same every time. But that drill where they fall down and run to each corner, it's like what they were doing on every single uh, pick six. They were right there where they should be around the ball. Uh, that really helped them. But the the offense was fantastic. No punts from the first team offense. Caleb Williams, who I thought was near perfect. Three incompletions were a drop, and then two shots to the end zone when he needed to throw the ball anyway. I thought Caleb Williams was fantastic. Maybe we start there. Just the the precision, the accuracy, and what really stood out was that mobility shotgun. You know, he's talked about wanting to be more of a pocket passer, not not take off and run. But I felt like every time he ran, he needed to run and he bought more time with his legs. Just go back and watch. He's so confident in that pocket moving around, making a little uh, making an extra move to make a guy miss, buy a little extra time to get the pass down the field. And then when he did take off, he looked really good doing it. You know, that one play that came back on a penalty, I believe, or or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was a really nice run. I even put it in my highlights. I don't care that it didn't technically count. I think it was a, a legal block or something like that. that the, the, the run still counted. The run still counted, but it, but it chopped off some of the end there. But it was just a nice run. The, he faked me out. <laughs> I, I was – you can see it in the clip. I was watching the running back, and then I turn over here. He's making guys look silly. Just a really smooth spin move. That's what USC really hasn't had in a while. You know, I know Sam Darnold, but Sam Darnold wasn't as mobile as Caleb Williams is in that sense. Not, I would say, a true dual threat. But Caleb, I believe he led the team in rushing by the end of it. Uh, I think he had 54 rushes by the time he came out, but 54 rushing yards, excuse me. So He finished with 68 rushing. 68 rushing yards. You know, that's impressive. And you could see why he was considered a... The, the top dual threat quarterback out of out of college. And I know a fan I know Gerard talks about this when you run kind of that air raid system or the, that kind of system. It's it helps so much more if you have a guy who can create with his legs when things break down. Because it it's college. These are college kids. College football is all about chaos and a lot <laughs> of things break down. So when you have a guy who can take off in the midst of chaos and make plays with his legs, either extend it or just get it himself with it with his with his feet 
that makes you so much more deadly as an offense. And I think that's why we're going to see, you know, Caleb Williams kind of take over the Pac-12 this year and, you know, throw his hat in for being a legitimate Heisman contender. And good start, uh, obviously, with the, with his play. You know, he I believe he was at 83% completion percentage. That's the most since Matt Barkley with minimum 20 attempts. I believe he only had one incompletion at halftime. So d- great debut for him. His second year in the offense. First year as a season opening starter. So a lot of firsts for him. And I think he did he did a really, really good job. Just so smooth. Yeah. Uh, and you you talk about how you know he he can run with it and create and with college football the chaos and there was a play in the first half uh, I believe it was in the first quarter of their second drive where you know the pass rush gets there yeah and he makes a guy miss and picks up five yards so even you know even if he gets back to the line of scrimmage just the fact that you get a net you know, you know a zero gain versus it's second and 14 yeah. or second and 17, and now you're behind the sticks. Those are the type of things that you know can completely alter a drive against really good defenses, and he can do that. You know, He can just make a guy miss, and you saw what Anthony Richardson did for Florida. If you watch those highlights uh, in the Utah game, you know, just completely changed the whole dynamic of the game because Utah has a good defense. I wouldn't call it a great defense. They have a good defense. But when things broke down, that's when they had no, you know, no answer for him. Um, from everything from the two point conversion to just some other plays there, and that's what Caleb Williams can bring to this offense. So he can bring that, and that's an important aspect, and that's something that really adds value for any college offense. Um, and I'm, I'm not a proponent that you have to have a, a dual threat quarterback. I'm still, I think you can win with a, you know, a pocket quarterback uh, as well. And if Caleb Williams wasn't mobile, he could still do the same thing. He could still win with him because of how well he can throw the ball. But then the offense that USC has run recently, the read option offense, the RPO offense, you can also run the ball with the quarterback. And that the, the play you're talking about where he fooled you, that was the first time that he ran the ball, and he gets out on the outside. He makes a guy miss on the edge you know, after he's already 10, 15 yards. Because Keaton Slovis could pick you up 10 yards on some of those when you know the defense is just crashing down yeah. hard. You know, you, you can pick up that, yard, that yardage, but then he makes a guy miss, and then he does the spin move, and it's like a 30- or 40-yard run, and then 10 of it comes back or whatever for, for Austin Jones uh, blocking someone in the back. But... Those are the electric plays that he can make. And similarly, you have guys like Relique Brown and Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. And all those guys can do those things too where they turn 10-yard plays into 20- or 40-yard plays. Relique Brown, uh, that you know, little dump off over the middle and see what he did. Um, and, and I think that's what makes this offense so different than particularly last year where if it wasn't Drake London making plays, you didn't have the speed. And there weren't really guys that were going up and making a ton of plays elsewhere. Trig a little bit, but obviously he only played a little bit for USC. Uh, so, you know, that's why this offense is so dangerous this year. And talking about all the playmakers that they have on here. And I we haven't you, even mentioned Jordan Addison or Mario Williams. We didn't mention those guys. Austin Jones. You know, there's so many weapons and we yeah. only scratched the surface and talking about it at the top of this show. And I asked Jordan Addison, I was like, you know, when you look at the highlights, I mean, you look at the highlights from the game, and if you just look at the touchdowns, you know, there's nine touchdowns scored in this game, seven different people. Um, You look at the highlights in this game, and, you know, the first highlight on USC's highlight clip, I think, was the Taj Washington. That's another guy. No one even talked about him this offseason. And he, you know, had 
you know, I think he it was a leading receiver. He had 65 yards, and most of that was in the first quarter. And then he started using other weapons and whatnot. So, and Jordan Addison, I asked him, I was like, you know, what's, what does it say about this team? He said, well, you know, he said, you know, we're, it's a new one. Mario Williams said it's a new era. This is SC. Uh, and then when, you know, they, they both said it's kind of a, this was a statement for them to make. And Jordan Addison says, you know, hopefully we're going to put up 50 a game. And, you know, it's not out of the, the, the realm of possibility not that they're going to average that, but that it'll be a regular occurrence that they'll be at least flirting with, you know, potentially getting to 50 points in a game. Whereas in the past, it's like if they got anywhere close to that, you were like, oh my God, what? Is, how did this happen? Um, you know, it was much more likely that it was, they were getting 50 put up on them last season. Um, and the, <laughs> the couple seasons before that, you know, just weren't getting to that point total. Uh, and that's why, you know, USC hadn't scored 66 points since 2008. So, Do you know the last time? I bold predicted 40 points per game for the whole season. That's their season average. Do you know the last time USC averaged over 40 points per game for a year? If it's ever happened, I would assume that it was, uh, you know, like 2006, 2007? 2005. Five? The Reggie Bush, yeah. you know, the dynamic team. Um, yeah, that's a very high number, <laughs> very difficult number. And, you know, USC last year gave up over 30 points. Uh, in, in the season uh, per game in a season for the first time ever. So I think the defense will be a little bit better than that. So if you can get to 40 points and you're giving up less than 30, you're usually going to win pretty games. Good. You're pretty good. And 66, great start. They're right there at the top. I think they're number three in the country <laughs> for 66 points uh, per game average. Miami got 70, so, so. You know, but they also play an FCS school. Uh, the, one of my favorite parts, though, and I told Chris about this, uh, was uh, you know the band – Likes the number 69 for some reason. They wanted three more points, and they were chanting it, chanting it. The new band director was not having it. Nice. Uh, whereas this, that, that chant has, you know, different chants have happened like that in the past. Actually, I think someone was close to it last year against USC, and they were hoping that they scored a field goal instead of a, a touchdown against USC, so that it would be that, that number. But uh, the band director not having it. So then the student section picked it up and started chanting instead. We, it was a we want points? No, it's three more points. That's what they were saying? I thought they said we want points. No, three more points. And that's why he was. But also shout out to the band director for letting the band wear T-shirts. True. Because <laughs> I know a lot of people brought up the Purdue game when they were dropping like flies. The band people oh, wow. were just dropping like flies. So shout out to the band director. Not being, you know, I wish you were a little bit cooler. On six nine, but letting them wear shorts and stuff that was and, and t shirts that was nice in that heat. Well, the band and Traveler were active too. So many touchdowns. The most points that USC ever scored under Pete Carroll was seventy in the first game of the Lincoln Riley era at sixty six. So if that's a sign for anything to come, I think that USC fans should be excited about that. One weapon that we haven't mentioned is Relique Brown. I think he was really electric. We've got a thousand comments in here asking about what happened to Relique Brown. I know, Chris, you were on the sideline for that. Got a good glimpse of it. Do you want to calm fans down a little bit? What did you see on yeah, the sideline? Yeah, for sure. But really quickly, you didn't tell me when I was down there that Traveler runs after every score. How did you know? You didn't know that? I did not oh. pick up on that. I almost got ran over by Traveler because <laughs> I was trying to tweet something after a score and I was walking and the you horse lady... You weren't the only one. The horse lady was like... Freaking out, and I was like, "What? Oh, a giant horse!" That's why mini traveler, turnover traveler, so much more efficient. But he would have literally died. This is also a, a callback to the Family Feud podcast, where the real ones know. Where Chris, you don't need to, you don't need to introduce turnover traveler as what we would like to see, which would be a mini horse that 
the player who gets the turnover gets to ride, ride the horse. After the game. Ride around. You know, instead of a turnover sword or Which a turnover I didn't chain. See. Did they still have I didn't see no. it. No, they didn't get rid of I, I know Traveler too on I think it was the last touchdown, only made it halfway. He made only yeah. made it to the fifty yard line. I think they were like, <laughs> We don't want to run you too much. His tongue was out. Yeah. He's like, Call it. Call it. Yeah. USC hadn't scored sixty six points since uh beating Washington State sixty nine to nothing in two thousand eight. Nice. And the seventy points was against Arkansas. So it was a little Arkansas. bit different different opponent than Rice. But yes about Relique Brown. Sorry to to, to devolve into another uh, topic. but well, Before you get to that, oh, okay. because you said you almost got ran over by Traveler, you weren't the only one. Okay. Four-star cornerback Roderick Ple- Pleasant oh, from no. Gardena Serra was walking and they were, get on, get to the side, get to the horses coming, the horse, and he's like, just like was, was not paying attention. And There's a horse here? Put his back against the, 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 the Coliseum wall, just make sure he did not get run over. I would love to see Roderick Pleasant race a horce. That'd be a fun, that'd be right. a fun ranch. Uh, CIF state champion uh, sprinter, but Relique Brown, another fast guy on mm-hmm. this offense, got a lot of touches. Uh, shotgun, really right there re- early in the red zone. Uh, got got touches trying to get him into the end zone. Uh, hit a memorable Heisman pose after his first career touchdown. I mean, can't do any better than that. But he did get a little bit banged up at the end. Had a really nice run up the. I believe it was a screen. Or no, a, th- a pass. I believe it was a pass. Uh, but took it up the middle. I think it was like 40 yards or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, But he did come up a little bit uh, limpy after that. I didn't really see – I was watching through my lens. I didn't really see like if he got stepped on or got twisted. Uh, but he just came up a little bit. He was like, uh, something's wrong with my foot. Walked off fine with – albeit a little bit of limp. Took him to the trainer's tent. He seemed fine. You know, He didn't seem distraught. He wasn't like upset. He was just like chilling drinking a thing. They were, uh, I believe it was his right foot, and they were icing kind of the side of his foot. It wasn't necessarily the ankle. It was more so like the actual foot part, the flat part of the foot, not not the ankle. He did get carted off, but he was like laughing while he was on the cart. And I saw it more so as, hey, Relic Brown has his foot iced up. We took his cleat off. Let's not make him hop all the way to the tunnel. Let's just get the cart out here scoot him off they even picked up jude wolf on the way jude wolf had foot surgery he's got some crutches they they dropped him off on the He was like come on jump on this thing with me and they drove <laughs> off together so that's i kind of felt like it was more kind of a convenience thing than an actual kind of like uh seriousness obviously we'll we'll probably see we'll see a practice on tuesday but he seemed to be in 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 high spirits um and he, he also tweeted about the game today he was like great great team win fight on so he seems to be in a good mood uh, so I would, I just personally, I would say it doesn't seem that serious. Just maybe a little bit of precaution. You know, that was, they were already in the deep into the game. No need, no need to put them back in, uh, get them off the field safely. Don't make them hop all the way to the locker room. Just take the cart. Honestly, it feels like it's just another small detail that was taken care of because you, you, you I knew you were going to say this story. Yes. Because we've seen in the past where USC had an injured player and not get the cart. And that would be Port Augustine. You know, uh, I can't remember the game that it was that he got injured. Ends up missing most of the season um, because of it. Foot injury, if I remember correctly. But no cart there. He's on crutches. He has to take the crutches up himself. And, you know, he gets kind of halfway to it when someone's finally like, someone go to the cart for this guy. And, like, it's, it's those small details that felt like they were consistently missing in the past. 
And I'm sure there were some small things yesterday that the coaches would like to clean up, whether sideline, different things, not just assignment and those type things. And one of those, you know, they called a timeout. They had 10 players on the field. That did happen. I know people don't think that can happen with anyone, but that is one of the things you've got to get cleaned up. You can't, you know, can't it's chaotic out there. Yeah. Um, but in general, just a lot more attention to detail with all the things, um, you know, from the recruiting aspect side of it. Uh, you mentioned that in, in your uh, your game day notes. If you got game day ghost notes, if you guys didn't check that out, if you're not a member of the site, then you can sign up right now. 75% off this weekend for a, for a year annual pass, I believe it is. Um, but really good insights in the notes there. One of the things Chris mentioned is how there was just a lot more signage. And we've heard this from recruits for the recruiting visits and stuff. But you don't actually know the backstory of how bad it's been in the past with recruits. Because at the end, when the, the team runs out, the recruits are allowed to be there there. And it's like there's like a minute and a half and the game starts and you have to clear the sideline. And usually it's like, let's go, let's go, let's go, find your seat, find your seat. And none of the recruits know exactly where they're going. Whereas this, there were signage that said, you know, color coded too. So I'm assuming they had a wristband that told them what section they were in as well to just make it that much more, you know, that much easier for the for the recruits to get off the field before the game, making it an enjoyable experience so they don't feel like, hey, this this – Security guards being a, being a butthole to me, you know, he's shoving me off the you know the field. You want every small thing for a recruit to be like, oh, this is a great experience. You don't want that security guard that's trying to do his job and just like clear the field so the game can start, right? And you know, have the recruit feeling like that, you know, this guy's got an agenda against me type of thing. So just those small details, and there were some other things that that I don't know if you picked up on anything in particular, but you know, those type things all kind of stood out to me. Just uh, you know, seeing a, a couple of different pieces. I can't think of any more off the top of my head right now, but the details were taken care of. Even on the and outside of the of the game, there was signage for where families and recruits needed to go because we've driven around, you know, MOK, Figueroa trying to get to parking. It's chaotic out there, <laughs> especially when you're closer to game time. It was three hours before and it was hectic out there trying to find parking. But they had people standing on, on, on the corners with the signs all around. So you knew where to go with the arrows pointing. This section is for recruits. This section is for their families, things like that. And that, you know, may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. And that is the difference between, you know, someone having a miserable time getting in to having a smooth time getting in. And, you know, you're in the right mindset when you go to the game. And I believe, I don't know if you saw Annie Hansen's video they posted where they, they showed you what it looks like when a recruit comes, they have all the, 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 the trophies and the, Heisman's and stuff, and everyone's clapping and cheering. Mm-hmm. The support staff is just incredible, and the number of everyone. I mentioned this previous on shows where recruits go, and they're like, "There's just so many people telling you where to go." There's <laughs> always somebody next to you to be like, "Okay, we're gonna go do this. Okay, we're gonna go here. This is where you need to go." And just seeing that, I, I believe it because they had they must have been rolling like at least fifty deep in terms of helpers to just guide everyone and you're working with an operation of hundreds of people with recruits and their families and the coaches and their and their their staff and, and then extra recruits that they're bringing so you need an operation like that and that's kind of what i know that's not sort of like a football game day thing in terms of things on the field but mm-hmm. that is something that is it shows a big part the of program organization yeah. and even if you look at that video almost everyone is color-coded like everyone is wearing the same color, so you know if if you have a question, you can ask this person rather than asking a security guard or whatever it may be. You're not searching for someone. All those small details, 
you know, they add up, you know, to whether it's an enjoyable experience or, you know, something that stands out to like one small thing can, you know, be the difference in someone having a good time or not. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to make sure that none of those things uh, are, are going to be coming from at least the recruiting side of it. I thought it was very interesting when I, because I, you know, I run back and forth uh, on the sideline probably the entire first half. Annie Hansen and, and Megan Mez, who were both on the recruiting side for USC, I don't know if they looked at anything that was happening on the field. Their eyes no. were in the stands the entire time. I don't know if they, I don't know exactly what they're looking at. You know, if they were just seeing if everyone's seated, and, you know, finding their way. If I don't know if someone was supposed to raise their hand if they had a question and he was going to come and tell. I don't know, but exactly. But I thought it was interesting that their entire focus was doing their job, the recruiting side. Whereas normally, or in the past, you know, you know, once you get the kids in their seat, you know, your job was kind of done as a recruiting person, so you could enjoy the game. Um, but that's not the case for for this re recruiting staff now. So again, uh, attention to detail is just on a completely different level with this this organization right now. I didn't see Annie Hansen relax until the f like f three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Then she took a ch took the took the time to to celebrate after a stop. <laughs> you know, like yes, and you could tell she was in a much more relaxed mood. She, she turned down the uh, the focus and the tunnel vision with. Uh, the tunnel vision uh, with the recruiting and the only drawback of this this new system with the recruits is, you know, if you're a five star guy and you're colorblind, <laughs> you're kind of it's it's, it's tough. Why are it's you tough. looking at me like that, Chris? Just because I'm colorblind. You, you noticed it, so I think maybe we're good. Maybe we're good. Depends on what what type of colorblindness they have. There's different types, Chris. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we've got one live caller in the queue. If you guys want to go to a sure. live caller, we could bring him in. It's uh, Judy Wells, and we'll bring her in right now. Judy. Hi, Judy. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, I'm bringing a, a longtime alum uh, vantage point. I started SC in 62 under John McKay, and I finally, even through the Pete Carroll era, I finally feel like we've come back to the program I came into, it was so cool in the stands yesterday. People were invested in the game. They were watching the game. The team was excited. 
you can tell these kids are invested in this coach and they're reflecting his excitement. We've missed that through Sark and Lane and heaven knows, Clay. And I just want to tell you, as a longtime alum, I'm really excited and I can't wait for the rest of this season. Fight on. Judy, thanks so much for the call. That's great to hear. Uh, she did say it was cool in the stands. She didn't mean physically cool uh, there because <laughs> uh, it was still warm uh, all around the, the stadium, hearing from people and talking to some people in the stands. That's how they stay cool. It's true. That excitement. It's true. But that love. is awesome to hear. Uh, you know, the, the fact that you see, you know, hear from someone that has seen so many different coaches. You know, she said she started in John McKay That means you've gone through John Robinson all the way through Pete Carroll, the down years of the Hackett years, the down years of the Helton years. The good thing is USC just didn't hire a coach whose last name started with H. You know, there you go. That was, I think that was the key. No Hackett's, no Helton's. And you're, you're at yeah, least going to do okay. Good. Yeah. I talked to some people before the game and it was kind of the softball question at the tailgate, the parasol tailgate they were at. It was a softball question. It was like, are you excited? <laughs> and it was just like everyone was like – one guy was like, are you kidding me? So that was kind of cool to see all that, you know, that genuine bursting out of their uh, Trojan gear excitement to uh, – I talked to one guy who wasn't wearing any USC gear. He's like – I was like, where's your gear? He's like, I gave it all away in the Helton era. He's like, now, <laughs> wow. now, I, have to, now I have to get some more. So yeah, I told him, you got to get some more at the uh, – at the uh, at the Coliseum, get some more gear, load up for the Lincoln Riley era because you can't get through it without any USC gear. So just that general excitement, just seeing so much tailgating going on, uh, so much enthusiasm as we walked, you know, to to the the Coliseum to get in, and you know, you know, Judy's comments I think reflect a lot of fans, not mm -hmm. just you know, kind of the older alumni, but the new generation and kind of the middle generation, and everyone's really fired up. About what's coming under Lincoln Riley, so good first step. Yeah, energy and excitement. I think that's a, a huge thing. And it, you think that that was a lot, of, uh, you know, good tailgating. When it gets going, it'll be on a whole, whole nother level. You're gonna have people there. They're gonna be pushing against that, you know, the USC's new rule of however many hours you can get there before the game. Um, so I went on campus. You know, I stopped by our tailgate real quick after getting my credential. Went on campus. Still a little thin a couple hours before the game. Um, and then, you know, stopped by the South Lawn as well. Uh, that was over there seeing, saw Mark Sanchez, talked with Mark, Ty or, or, uh, yeah, Mark Tyler um, and a couple other people. So, you, you know, it's it's fun to see. And, you know, talk, talking to Mark, uh, you know, former USC running back, and he's excited. You, you know, hearing from former players how much they're excited, listening to Mark Sanchez talking to fans, how, how excited he is. And obviously he's, you know, went to the NFL, had a lot of success, you know, all these different things. And, He's around and you know he's hyped up uh, in the tailgating time. I think all that you're just feeling that energy, and we'll see how as the season progresses, as things you know as positives and negatives happen, how that is. I think we're still in the honeymoon phase. Nothing negative has happened at USC so far. When the first one hits, the fans will be like, "Oh yeah, that could happen to us," or you know, is it you know, do they have some faith and a little bit of trust in the coaching staff and the direction of this program? They're pretty battle tested. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. Well, you guys are talking about tailgates. Unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about, I've got a good tailgate question to start it off. I mean, make sure Go you guys it. are leaving your questions on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. If you want to do, uh, if you want to call in live and get your thoughts on air, five one two four tunnel. Make sure you call in. But starting with the question, what were the highlights from the Inside Troy tailgate? And then there's also been a thousand questions, Chris, about who won the Bake Off between you and Ryan. If you want to you know, display who the winner is, I can act, I can answer both questions because for me, the highlight was winning. 
the Bake Off. I officially uh, won the Bake Off, fair and square, five judge, uh, uh, five judge panel, uh, blind taste test. I was a little nervous because Ryan decorated the crap out of his. He had the, <laughs> he had the yellow cream cheese icing. Uh, he got like sprinkles, even wrote USC on it. I was very intimidated. I saw them. I was like, good thing this is a taste test. So I would get creamed in the uh, decoration department. But my taste held up and I won. So if you're listening and you were a judge and you voted for mine, thank you so much. And if you didn't, well, you're dead to me. I'm just joking. <laughs> you're not dead to me. But that actually wasn't the highlight for me. The highlight was for, for me was a bunch of people came up to me. They were really nice to me. They told me to keep doing what I'm doing, and some of them even said they love my awkward energy on uh, on the shows that I do. That's just me being me. Uh, but everyone was just super nice. People asked me to take pictures with them, which is like – I thought they meant like you want me to hold the camera? <laughs> want me to hold the camera? No, they want me to be in the photo. A lot of people wanted to see the 10K or 18K depending how you're looking at it. Uh, We're trying to get you up to 18. But I think my – I just hit 14, thank, 14K. Thank you so much for everyone. And that I think that was the highlight for me. Just all the the kind words and support and nice things people had to say to me specifically, which was nice. It is nice to hear that even though – because you focus on what the mean things people say. But you got to remember to to embrace the, the praise sometimes you get. So thank you to everyone who came up to me and – who I interacted with uh, at the tailgate. People are a lot different in person than they are on their social media or, um, you know, their internet personas as well. You know, people don't usually have as much mean things to say in person. Uh, but, you know, it, it was great to see everyone at the tailgate. Thanks to everyone who came out. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Hope you got some of those Trader Joe's snacks. Um, I don't know if you had any of those. The, they have a Bombas with, uh, with hazelnut filling in them. I just like devoured a couple of bags of those today. Uh, that is not a good thing for me to have learned about. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I hope you guys all had a, a great time. We are going to hope to do I'm it sure again in the future. I'm sure we're going to do more. I'm sure. Um, and do more. with the way the team played yesterday and the excitement that is around the program right now, hopefully we can get some more people in. It was great to see how many people came in from out of town too. Wanted to be there for that first game to say, "Hey." I was there at the start of the Lincoln Riley. Uh, Brandon, I think it was from Minnesota coming in. Uh, you know, just everyone and just I, I was, you know, for us when we're talking to people and they, you know, sometimes we get a lot of the same questions. So you know, saying the same things over. But you know, I talk a lot on these shows and our podcasts and whatnot. But by the end of the night, like my throat was sore because I talked so much uh, from the tailgates and stuff. But so much fun uh, to be able to talk to you guys, meet people who's handles we know and stuff from right. the P but to see you in person and meet you and you know some of our you know some of our members that are former USC athletes and stuff that's always really fun for me so if you are you know always let me know that when you meet me in person and if you're a former athlete and we'll get name tags next time so you can write yeah someone blame Chris for not bringing those I I just completely forgot Ryan, no, I, I think did, I did, blamed you even though you weren't supposed to I bring. did it yeah right and I did it for one of the early ones for last season but then obviously we know what happened last season. No one cared anymore. So why am I going to – Why who's going to show up? So that's kind of what the theory was. And I wasn't even thinking about it. I was too focused on the cupcakes for we've good reason. Got, we've got someone in the comments today that said that they came in all the way from Australia. So that's right. 1,400 miles. Was it Ben miles. Griffiths? Because Ben Griffiths was there. Ben Griffiths was there as well. Um, no, uh, I, they, Megan. Me, Megan messaged me on uh, f um, Twitter as well. You know, the – 
you know, it's been 20 years she's been a fan and had not come to a game. This is her first one. Wow. So hope she had a great time, wow. um, even though she said she got lost after the game. Sure. Uh, but, you know, was able to make it back and hopefully had a great time and enjoyed her, her trip and, you know, made the most of it and got some great food in L.A. as well. Dananda. Mm-hmm. Chuck, and I know you were on the field pretty early and I was following along on your Twitter because I was up in the press box and you were the one noting about who was out, who was not dressed. We got a question in here from Jasper from YouTube. Any status on the guys that were held out due to injury? No, because we uh, do not have access. Well, one, because there's so much excitement around the game, there's so much highlights you don't usually get any injury updates on players that you know unless it's significant maybe the league brown would you know should have been asked about it didn't happen because everyone had certain questions they wanted for lincoln riley in his first game so we didn't get an update on that but we also normally have a sunday call with the beat writers with uh, lincoln with the head coach which has been nixed by usc they're continuing to give the media a little bit less and less access as we go to control the narrative even more and more and because college football coaches in general are pretty paranoid. Let's go to a, a live caller. We've got another one. This is Dave. He wants to talk about the game yesterday. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. See if Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, it's Dave from Iowa once again. Very pleased with the performance. A little slow on defense, but that's to be expected for the first uh, game of the season. So uh, I, I understand Thursday is usually the preview for the upcoming game, but after this, after after seeing the performance yesterday, how do you feel about going into Stanford? So Stanford, USC's opening up as a ten and a half point favorite. Thought it was an interesting spread. Um, interesting you know, for USC, or just interesting in general, um, just because. You know, what do you know about Stanford? What do you know about USC so far? Neither, neither one you know too much about. Stanford played Colgate. Tanner McKee looked really good in that. We're going to get into that one more on Thursday. So we're going to keep it, because there's so many highlights, keep it pretty short here. But I think USC got a little preview of what a lot of the things that Stanford wants to do just in their general approach to games as far as slowing the clock down, you know, wanting to attack with power in the middle of a defense line. So there's some things that USC has to clean up. Uh, on the defensive side, so they got a little preview of it. I think that will help them next week, but it should be a decent game, and USC should win. Yeah, I'm, I'm on. I'm with you on that. I still see a not a 66-14 kind of win, but I still see sort of a comfortable kind of win for the Trojans. I just think they have too much firepower. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that rushing attack. You know, obviously Stanford likes to to run it down teams' throats and kind of see. Obviously, Tanner McKee can be a difference maker as a guy who could be a first-round pick uh, down the line. So a lot of interesting matchups going on, but I still see the Trojans kind of doing away with that and kind of coming away with I – would, I would pick them to cover and, uh, you know, leave with their first uh, Pac-12 road win, first Pac-12 win uh, for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, but we'll, I mean, we'll see that next week. Yeah. Yeah, make sure to tune into the Thursday show. We're going to be talking all about the Stanford game. We've got a bunch of live callers in the queue, so I guess this oh, wow. time we'll go to Brandon. I think he wants to ask the same question, but let's see. Hi, Brandon. You're on Tunnel Vision. Oh, uh, no. My name's Brian, but I wanted to ask uh, Shotgun, does he see Corey Foreman stepping up and really making a difference on the defense rushing in? And, yes, I wanted to know what his true thoughts were about Stanford since they drug us last year. <laughs> that is true. Um, uh, but they don't have Austin Jones anymore, so – yeah, you know, he's going to be the difference maker. Uh, no, I expect Alston Jones actually to score against his former team. He was a beast. I think, I think that was a, that's going to happen. He, I loved his energy 
the first touchdown with Jordan Addison. He's right there hyping him up. Um, and then his scores, he hands the ball back to the ref, poses, and There's then a does, a, does that and then just sprints off to the field yeah. um, to go celebrate with people on the sideline. So I really enjoyed his energy there. Um, and again, we'll get into th- the Stanford more on Thursday. But Corey Foreman, some positives there, some things that still got to work on. Obviously, he just needs more and more and more and more reps. He's only a sophomore. He yeah. hasn't played a ton. Remember, missed his senior year. So, you know, he's kind of behind on stuff. And obviously, missed time in the spring, missed time in the fall. He just needs... Like you said, more time, more reps. Honestly, it, it's interesting to me listening, you know, one to you know, the social media comments that we get, um, and you know, having people call and ask about Corey Foreman, but also in the game, hearing people from the sidelines, um, from the sidelines that aren't a part of USC uh, is uh, team organization, but from the stands, yelling about Corey Foreman. Corey, go make a play. He is that hyped up. He's the most hyped up player that hasn't done really anything yet. Uh, at USC that I've seen. I haven't, uh, you know, in my time covering and being on the sideline, I can't think of another five-star or that type of freshman young guy coming in that hasn't really made an impact yet that everyone is just so hyped to see what he can do. And he show, has shown some glimpses of it. You know, he you know, had a great move. Um, actually, did he create a turnover? I, I think it was on the uh, the Zamarian Gordon. I mean, he, he did create one turnover, but I think he had created two of them. The Zamarian Gordon interception actually – he does a quick step outside, cuts back inside, and is coming and is going to be in the quarterback's face. And the quarterback gets rid of it super quick uh, because knowing the rush is coming is right in his face. Corey Foreman is there. So you're seeing what he can do. Now, he doesn't have the results yet. Mm-hmm. And that's similar with Romello Height at Auburn. You know, he was able to get some pressures, didn't have the results. I thought Romello Height, even though when I, wa- when I was you know, on the sidelines, didn't think he did anything. But then when I rewatched it, doing his assignment, and that's yeah. the big thing. You know, holding the edge on one play and Shane Lee makes a tackle for loss. You know, those type of plays where – every- sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Where you don't stuff the stat sheet, but everyone does their job, and that's how you end up with a tackle for loss. Corey Foreman creating quick pressure – doesn't get credit for a tackle. I mean, for a tackle, for a sack, for creating a fumble, but throw is out quick. Ball gets tipped off someone's hands. Zamarian Gordon gets an interception. Corey Foreman comes off the edge, doesn't get the sack, ends up being in a pick six for a railing go for it. So, you know, I think that there's some positive signs there. And I think as he gets more and more reps and if he can stay healthy, can practice fully, you're only going to see him continue to get better and better and better as the season progresses. So, you know, I, I was excited for some of the plays that I saw. And with young players, you know, I look at the extreme plays probably more than anything else. You know, are, are you are you making some impact plays, and is that that gives me an idea of your potential? And then when you when you lose, what does it look like? Are you getting destroyed, or are you just losing? And you gotta get washed out, and you just you know, and it's something that can be taught, can be coached up, or are you just getting dominated? And, and I think that's the you know why I look at it, young players because if you're getting dominated, it says okay, you're not ready. Corey Foreman is ready to contribute, but he's only going to continue to get better as he gets more and more reps. Also, the curse of just being a number one overall overall rated player, you know, the carry is that. A curse? that well, a- the curse of having that pressure on you, having those expectations set on you. And like I mentioned, he didn't have enough time as, you know, other number one overall recruits. He missed his entire senior year. He had a slow start. And he's always going to have that number one. You always have a number one because you're the number <laughs> one USC basketball beat writer in the world. So you know what the, it is to carry that that title. But 
you know, he's a, he's a sophomore, he's a kid, and that that's a lot. That's a lot of noise in your ear. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of expectations and pressure to kind of handle uh, in college football while being a college student. All that. There's a lot going on. So you know, there just needs to be some growth maturity to kind of just put it all together to slow it slow it all down and i think we'll see that i'm, I'm not saying he's going to be you know consensus all american but i'm saying i think we're going to see a step in the right direction for Corey foreman and you know to maybe make that maybe to have that season as a junior going to his junior year well, i think it's I don't important think it's that far away i don't know that all he's right? going to be a consensus all american or anything this year but i think you're going to start seeing more and more as long as he stays healthy you're going to start seeing more and more flash plays and going ooh. And it, it's interesting you talked about the, the noise that you hear from the outside. We always hear about that. There was literal noise on the Saturday, yeah. and that was kind of what stood out to me, just people in the stands you know, yelling and cheering for him and you know, telling him, let's go make a play you know, before a big, you know, a big snap or something. So it's interesting. I think it's really important for him, too, to just gain momentum. Obviously, he has the flash plays, but it's flash plays in a game that USC wins by a bunch. He doesn't have injuries to worry about right now, as so it seems. So just go a couple games like that, and I don't know. We could see Corey Foreman return to the form that we saw in high school. We have another live caller coming in. He wants to talk about the offensive line and the left tackle rotation, so we'll bring him in. Hi, welcome into Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, this is Kevin from San Jose. I wanted to know what you thought about the idea of rotating the left tackles each series and if you thought, if you saw that coming. And then also, how great was it that we were able to play 65 guys, that we had 65 guys healthy and able to play in a D1 football game? Fight on. Justin Dietrich would love hearing that it was 65 guys that get to play in a Division One football game. But the tackle situation, we expected that. You know, Josh Henson mentioned that several times in those final two weeks of camp and going to the year where, or going to the season, excuse me, this is a super tight race. This is a, feels like 1A, 1B kind of situation. Obviously, Bobby Haskins has a lot of left tackle experience. He's proven. He's a veteran. He just had a slow start. He had the ankle surgery working his way there. Corlin Ford kind of looks like a first round guy. You know, that's the kind of build that he has. And he's a young guy, still learning, you know, took his lumps last year, but got some experience. So it's an interesting dynamic between these two guys, Cortland being a young guy with a lot a lot of potential, a lot of athleticism, Haskins being the grizzled veteran who's done some things, knows what to do. Henson mentioned he's always in the right position. He's always in the right position to make the play because he knows what he's doing out there. So it was an interesting battle, young versus old, veteran versus uh, young guy. And it played out as I expected. I expected Cortland Ford to be the number one guy coming out of the coming out for the first series just because he had more time in this offense. He had more uh, growth to show. And I'm okay with the left tackle rotation. You know, I feel like Clay McGuire rotated uh, during his season, you know, with Justin Dietrich getting some time. And that worked out well. And I would, I would say I would trust Joss Henson with this. I, I don't think neither of them kind of uh, took the job outright after this first game. It, it seemed pretty even to me, and, and they talked about Lincoln Riley and, and Josh Henson about one of those guys is going to have to take the job at some point. So they're kind of just letting that competition go into the season. I think Stanford's going to be a big test uh, to see who steps up in a, in a road game Pac-12. You know, not exactly the loudest stadium, but it is a road game, so you kind of want to see how they handle that. Uh, both guys have played in road games before, but just with this new offense and this team to see how it, how it goes. I'm okay with the left tackle rotation, but I do understand at a certain point there needs to be a guy. There needs to be a guy you kind of settle on to be the number one. This felt like a game where you could rotate. Yeah. Like, all right, 
you guys, it's pretty even. We want to see what you can do in a game, yeah. and you know, we're gonna, this is what we're gonna do going into this game, and maybe the game is determined. I mean, the the battle is determined from what they saw in this game. Uh, now, that's one of the positions where. When I have more time throughout the week, I'm going to focus and look at every snap and see uh, as far as pro football focuses early grades, you know, because they, they always regrade the games, you know, a couple of days later. You know, Cortland Ford graded out a little bit higher. I thought similarly from the, the little bit that I've watched, which is about, you know, pretty in-depth. I've watched the first quarter and a half and then watched most of the game in kind of speed, speed vision. But uh, so I, I think that, you know, it's a game that you get an opportunity to see what each of the guys can do, and then you go from there, and we'll see if in the Stanford game, I don't think you'll have the same rotation. I think you maybe you will rotate, but I don't think it'll be every other series right. like it was. Yeah. All right, we've got one more live call, and then maybe we can go to Shotgun for some rapid-fire questions to end it off. This one, topic of the pancake block. I assume he's talking about Travis Dye, but hi, you're on tr Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, it's been a while since I've called, probably over a year since I didn't call pretty much last year. But I noticed in chat that somebody was mentioning about Travis Dye and his pancake blog. And if you can expand, and he said they don't get enough credit for that. Could you expand on that where, you know, how it protects the quarterback and what you see during the games, what you have seen in the past, what you see now, and if there are more of them. So I appreciate that. And one other thing, Jack, I just want to mention, you have a great career in uh, announcing play-by-play -play down the road. I started years and years and years ago in sports for about 10 years, and um, I can hear that voice, and I just want to pass along that good luck uh, in the next 10 years in sports. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, hopefully going to be doing that starting next year on the uh, USC student radio this time. We've got seniors and juniors up there, so i got to wait my turn. But I really appreciate that. I think uh, when they were mentioning the Travis Dye block, that's something I noticed from the press box because that was on the throw over the middle to Kyron Hudson mm -hmm. that Travis Dye cracked back, and that's one of the best blocks I've ever seen from a running back. I don't know if you guys saw it in real time, but it was, it was phenomenal. That was a grown-ass man block. That is how you phrased it. That is true. Um, I did not see the block itself. Uh, I was shooting Caleb on the play and then Kyron Ware Hudson, which was great because Kyron Ware Hudson coming across the field right towards me. Those are my, some of my favorite shots. Um, but you no, know, rewatching it, you see the impact that rewatching the game, you see the impact that Travis Dye can have. It's not just that play. It's USC lining him up as a lead blocker at times. And Austin Jones did the same thing. They used both those guys as lead blockers with two backs in the backfield. Just shows the versatility this offense is going to have with those guys back there. Travis Dye making the catch on the sideline. That is a tough catch. Yeah. Ball tips off the, you know, the defender's hands. Still makes it with Caleb Williams rolling out to the right. But the block itself was fantastic. It is a play-action play. And you know before the snap, Caleb Williams points out, to his right and says, you know, let's Travis Dye know, hey, watch out for the blitz over there. And so it is a quick play action because you want the action so that you can hold the linebackers, which is exactly what happened in that play. Um, and then, you know, because you know there's a blitzer coming as a running back, your job is to fake like you're getting the ball and immediately turn and face where the blitzer should be coming from. Travis does, Dye does a great job, but that can be very difficult when a guy's already almost on top of you because you're churning and trying to get your plant and get you know get set, all those type things that you would want to do like an offensive lineman would do as a running back. And that's oftentimes when a running back can just get run over. You know, if they're not set, if they're not down, you know, if they're standing up too tall, you know, an edge defender is coming off or a blitzer is coming off, and they just you know, they have the momentum. They're usually bigger than the running backs, and they just bowl over a guy. But Travis Dye holds his own first. That's the first thing is the initial impact, holding his own. But then 
starts driving his feet, drives his feet, takes the guy's shoe off in the process, and buries him. You know, he doesn't just block him and, okay, Caleb Williams is, gonna, is able to move out of the way and be able to make a play. No, he blocks him and says, all right, I got this guy now. I'm going to go finish him off. And, you know, shows that grown, grown man's strength that he's got. He's a married man. So, you know, he's, he's working on his dad's strength already. He's got that wedding ring strength. Yeah, that's what it is. You just start building up. All right, I got to carry everything now around the household. Um, so you just get those muscles you didn't even know you had. So he, he, you know, finishes off the block and it's tremendous play because it also it, it makes the highlight because it leads to a you know a nice big chunk play for uh, Kyron Ware Hudson. But I want to point out this was something that several players did. We're just finishing blocks. I don't know if anyone noticed. Because there was a Heisman pose, it was Relique Brown's first touchdown, he's getting outside, you see the speed, everyone, you, your eyes are captivated by 14. Go rewatch that replay again. Watch when he gets into the end zone. Kyron Ware Hudson has the defender out of bounds still blocking him. He has taken him all the way because you know, normally a wide receiver is there on the outside. They're you know doing their best to stock block. And maybe you know Relique Brown turns the corner. Now he's got to make a move to get around that block. And that's where that guy from behind catches him. He's, he gets tackled on the two or three yard line. Instead, because Kyron Ware Hudson, you know, pounding those feet into the ground, pushing that block, takes his guy out of bounds right past the goal line, is there's a clear path for Leak Brown there. And there were a couple of other instances of that that I noticed, which tells you again how much everyone is bought in to this, this program right now, how everyone is doing everything they can. And that's one of the reasons why I think Kyron Ware Hudson is one of the first guys that came off the bench yeah. uh, over some other guys that may have been more highly recruited, uh, more highly rated before, have more experience or have done more in Pac-12 play. But he was one of the first guys because, one, he's making catches in practice. But also, if you're doing those type of small things, the coaches definitely will notice that. And I bet you when they show that highlight in film, that's what they'll point out rather than Relique Brown. You know, they'll, they'll point out Kyron Ware Hudson's block, and then they'll say, Relique, what are you doing? What is this Heisman pose? Because coaches don't like when you do anything like that. Are you surprised he didn't get a flag? A little bit, but. Uh, you only get flagged if you celebrate with a Heisman win or not if you uh, hit the Heisman. That's the way it is. You know, if you, you go and dap up uh, Reggie Bush and Matt Liner, you're going to get a flag, but, you know, but not if you just strike the Heisman Bows, which is great. Shaka, do you have any rapid fire questions you want to roll through? I mean, we're I mean, coming we, in. We got plenty of rapid fire questions. Uh, you know, Edna Bay Area had a comment, though. We had a couple comments before the before okay. the show started. Thanks, everyone, for sending those in as well. And thank you for, for sending your questions throughout the show, uh, trying to, you know, accumulate those as we go. Uh, but he said, I like Jack, the new intern. He's not afraid to speak up. He's articulate and uses sound logic in his comments. Great addition to the team. Hey, look, at Jack, Jack's getting all the love over here. Yeah, where the – come on, you – we got to get in the comments and, and, and <laughs> hype up Chris and, and Shuck. And I was sitting up in the in the nice air conditioned press box for the game. These two were on the field uh, lugging it out in the sun. It was a I house think. cat. It was a house <laughs> cat. Exactly. I'm a street cat now. Chris Possum. Coliseum Possum. We did see a Coliseum Possum. I apologize for not getting the photo of it as it was going up the steps. Just missed it. I don't want to distract, but is this about to be for the game? <laughs> they, so LSU, I believe, just either fumbled, dropped it, but like they just Florida State up, fumbled at the goal them. line when they could have taken it in, and now LSU has the ball. One second left on the goal line. Wow. Okay. But they're calling timeout, so let's get back to the, the, the comments over here. Uh, for Shotgun, Rice took the opening cook, kickoff and mostly uh, ran it for their opening drive. It wasn't the opening kickoff. Mostly ran it for an eight-minute scoring drive to tie the game at seven. Running the ball worked better for them than passing, uh, but uh, – I bet Stanford was taking note and won't pass much. There's yes and no. Um, you know, 
Stanford is going to look at it and say, hey, we think we can run between the tackles here. But Stanford's also going to say, hey, we have a much better quarterback than they had at Rice. And maybe he puts a little bit more touch on the ball and the ball is placed a little bit better. So therefore that they, you know, they catch the ball and they don't have the tip interceptions or whatever it may be. So Stanford's still going to throw the ball. They're going to throw it up to John Humphreys on the outside. Uh, they're going to throw it up to their, their big bodies that they have. Killed USC with that last year. So they'll do that some. John Humphreys, bad white boy. Yep. I, I think that Rice pretty much only had success with their scripted plays. I mean, I don't think it's mentioned very often that teams come into plays with scripts for what they're going to do for the first drive or two. And I, I mean, we mentioned that Bloomgren had experience playing against Alex Grinch before. So I think he had a, a rough idea of what might work. After that, after those plays were dried up, there was really no success on offense. We had a text uh, to the show, uh, DC Trojan from Virginia. What is the biggest season-long concern after the game? How was the USC offensive line play in this game, and what offensive line would you consider the O-line MVP of the game? Chris, we'll start with you. What's the biggest concern after game? Season long? I mean, this still – oh, I'm just, um, I think it's just making sure that front can hold up against bigger run teams mm -hmm. or teams that are going to go big on them. Obviously, you got Stanford. you got Utah. We know they're going to run the ball. Oregon State, really good offensive line, and they're going to pound the rock. Uh, in Corvallis. So I think that's the biggest thing is just being able for them, uh, for USC's run defense to prove they can hold up against these teams that are going to try to push them off the line for me. How was the USC offense line play in this game? I think they didn't run the ball terrific. They yeah. ran the ball fine, yeah, it was whatever. Okay. Um, but they their pass protection was terrific. You know, Caleb Williams got pressured maybe two or three times uh, seriously, and he evaded one of those. He took a sack, you know, and barely got touched on the sack. You know, just he knew that the contact was coming. He does a really good job of avoiding contact. Besides when he wants to deliver a message the one time on the sideline <laughs> and threw his shoulder into the defender. Yeah. But otherwise, he does a really good job of just kind of avoiding getting down when he needs to. You know, the, the things that – Quarterbacks don't always have that that aware spatial awareness to to know when they have to get down and when they not. My favorite one of my favorite sideline moments was in the fourth quarter. He was standing on the bench with Mario Williams, and I don't know who it was. I think it was Kyle Ford or somebody uh, went to the sideline. They collided with the Rice defender, and the defender, you know, whatever fell down or whatever. And uh, uh, Caleb was yelling, "You're too small. You're too little. You're not big enough." It was a small little defensive back. Like, uh, <laughs> so you like funny. it when your quarterback's yelling at people, huh? Yeah, I like it when he's getting into it. Jasper has a similar question. Did Caleb Williams ever hit the ground aside from scrambles? Uh, he hit the ground. I mean, he hit the ground. Once, maybe? Not like violently, but he was on the ground a couple times. Yeah, he didn't He didn't take a ton of hits, though. Yeah. Um, thoughts on Caleb Williams? We had that as well. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but I thought he was just perfectly smooth in it. I mean, 19 to 22, he looked really good, really confident. And a great spin move. That was very that true. was very nice, uh, but you see the it, it, there were a lot of things made easy for him too. A lot of wide open receivers. The scheme was really nice to see. I mean, the first big play to Taj Washington. Mm -hmm. Just I, I'm hoping to be able to do film study, but I want to break that one down just because it was a really fun play of creating opportunities to first get a first down because I believe it was third and third and eight, maybe third and two. I don't remember what it was. Third and third down. But you had Mario Williams and Jordan Addison running short routes that occupied guy. You had you know two outside receivers. Tra Travis Dye had split out. You had another receiver, Brendan Rice, running deep routes to take the cornerbacks or take the safeties. So then you you put those linebackers in a bind. Do you cover Mario Williams and Jordan Addison at the sticks? Make sure they don't get the first down. 
okay, well, you've left this big vacancy right behind it, and that's where Taj Washington caught the ball wide open, no one around him. So that was a really fun, well-designed play. If they cover that, the linebackers drop, or the safety, if the safety comes up on that play, then you get the one-on-one opportunities on the outside. There's an answer throughout that, and that's what quarterbacks always talk about is like having an answer on every play. It's wild that we really haven't talked about Jordan Addison <laughs> on this uh, show. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. I think I thought Caleb did a great job spreading the ball around too. Everyone's mm-hmm. commenting throughout the past couple of weeks. There's so many wide receivers. How are you going to keep them all happy? I think, first of all, they're happy they put up 66 points, and Caleb pretty much did everything he could to get all the receivers at least one catch. And the only person, the position that was kind of you know declined was the tight ends, which I thought was a little bit weird. I was expecting a little more tight end play, but uh, the wide receivers, I think 10 different USC pass catchers caught the ball, and that's huge. I, I think that Chris. You can uh, jump in on this. Do you think the tight ends were just not used much in this game because of the game plan? Or are we seeing that because of all the weapons they have at receiver, I, I don't think the tight ends are going to be used as much as, as you might anticipate? I think it's the former. I just think that the their wide receivers are playing at such a high level, whether that's in practice, that they just rather have them on the field or kind of go through them to make plays. I think there's still obviously opportunities or will be opportunities for the tight ends and they can carve out a bigger role. Like if Lake McCree starts really clicking or Malcolm Epps starts really clicking, I believe Lake had the only catch uh, for mm-hmm. the tight end group. Uh, you know, those are really talented guys. I'm really big on Lake McCree. We saw what he can do. I just think they just need to catch fire in this offense. But right now it's, the, it's all about the wide receivers and kind of, using those weapons uh, and, and even the, the the running backs as pass catchers. So, you know, tight ends kind of third third banana in this offense So in, in terms of the positions. Uh, so I, th- I just think they just need to find their groove. I don't think they're there yet. That's why they're kind of a second afterthought to, to all the other weapons. They have to prove that they can block enough to yeah. stay on the field. That's been an issue for USC tight ends in the past. Uh, I thought Lake McCree had a couple nice pulls with uh, with the linemen on, on a couple plays to, and made those blocks. So you put that on on tape, and then the coaches, you know, will say, "Okay, we need to get that guy a little bit more involved going forward." Can Steve want to know? And this is Chris. You got to answer this one. This is your guy. Can we agree that Dennis Lynch wins the style points for outfit walking into the game and the post game presser? In case anyone didn't see, what was it, Chris? Black turtleneck, black pants, rocking the the chain, glasses, fit on hundred. <laughs> kind of look like the Rock. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I posted a picture, but just swagged out, just swagged out. Maybe Tracking. the wrong color choice though for a hundred plus degrees. Nah, I think someone tweeted out. You know, heat stroke is for heat stroke is temporary. Drip uh, is forever. Drip is forever. Was the drip the sweat? I don't know, but either way, <laughs> it's a great little sentence. Uh, Jack, put uh, shotgun as the main thing because I'm going to watch this final play. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll do that too. Yeah. Uh, Steven, want to know how can it come Brendan Rice didn't play that much. I think you're just seeing the wide receiver rotation. A lot of guys got in there. Uh, no one necessarily played a ton. Um, can we, Adrian wants to know, Shotty, we can finally talk about Solo. That is true. I, I have said for, for multiple times. <laughs> bring us back. Bring us this back. Right. To another time. <laughs> bring us back. Uh, Chris. Solomon Tuliala Pupu, what was kind of the reaction to him, his, him making a big play? Sean Nua did not run on the field like he threatened that he might do uh, when I talked to him in, the, yeah. in preseason. Um, but you, what, what was said and what, what, kind of, what was your thoughts seeing that play and seeing the reaction on the field? Just so much excitement. You know, he goes in. It's a, ta- it's a sack assist, but still a sack in itself. And 11 snaps, I think you said. And just this guy's journey to multiple foot surgeries. 
to get back and then have a knee surgery, just devastating, but grinded it out shotgun, just kind of put his head down, hard worker. You know, this was a guy that when Lincoln Riley came in, you know, they were going through evaluations and it's so hard to evaluate solo because he hasn't been on the field. He hasn't done anything. But to have the faith in him and kind of see the work ethic, and I know a lot of players vouch for him, and this guy puts in the work to keep him on this team was so valuable. And to see him rewarded with some of those plays and those and that sack just had to feel so good. And he lost it. And I was very much – that's a touchdown. <laughs> that was just awesome to see. And no one was more excited than his teammates and everyone else on that team and everyone else on that sideline. Because they know, especially the guys that have been here multiple years with him. You know, I asked Justin Dietrich about it. I knew that was his former roommate. They're super close. And, you know, it was just, he said he gave him the biggest hug. And I know he got a lot of love on the sideline. And it was just so great. You know, if you didn't know anything about Solo, you'd be like, oh, that's nice. You know, guy got 11 snaps. But, you know, it might as well have been like a 10 tackle, three sack, scoop and score touchdown kind of night. That's how big it was for a guy that just, could not stay healthy. And I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. And I caught a nice moment at the end where all the players were going to see their family and him and his dad and his brother and his family had a nice little moment together because, you know, he's worked hard to get on that field. So that was just, you know, awesome to see. You know, I say I'm not a fan of USC, but I am a fan of players on this team and the guys <laughs> I've covered. Uh, Florida State just blocked the extra point. We're seeing it now. You guys might have a little bit uh, ahead of us uh, after – LSU went on a Jaden Daniels, former ASU quarterback from. Wow. Why is um, he smiling? Wow. Because he can't believe what just happened. He did everything he could. Wow. To lead them on a 99 yard touchdown drive in basically a minute, and they missed the extra point. Wow. It hits off the crossbar and doesn't go over after Florida State had blocked a field goal early in the game as well. So, kicker problems. Brian wow. Kelly. Brian Kelly, break out the dance moves. <laughs> Brian Kelly. East Carolina style. That that's game my was that's wild. my solo take. Yeah, great to see Solo out there. And it was awesome just to see the reaction. Everyone was so excited All for it. All right, him. Jack, put him on now so I can kind of digest. <laughs> Even though I know my glasses on, I can't see. Um what did you guys think of the Rice pregame uh, marching band pregame performance? I, I loved it. I don't ever pay attention. It was again very Stanford-esque, you know, it just you know, doing the same thing that Stanford Band does. So whatever. I love a good troll, so I loved it. <laughs> um, Jasper wanted to know, seeing the backup offensive line playing against an opponent, how do you think they looked? Not great. I mean, the fact that they had multiple, I think it was two turnover. I mean, two penalties in the first three snaps for the backup guys. So, you know, it wasn't great there, but the fact they got those snaps is really important going right, forward. Right. Jeff Torres, who was answered in the, the thread as well, did, did Barlow get in the game? Yeah. Score touchdown. Yeah, first Short first uh, snap. He Short gets in. I thought actually when Relique got in early in the game, I was like, is his first snap going to be a touchdown? Is he going to get the first touchdown of the season? Uh, the, then the hype train would be even going even further off. Shay, you want to know, what do you feel about Sua Cravens talking about Eric Gentry having to gain weight and not get tossed around? He tweeted that, and Gentry's mom was apparently not happy. I did not see Gentry's mom. I'm assuming Sua said this uh, in his postgame show that he does with my buddy Jason Schwartz that they have on the radio. I, I think he does have to add weight, yeah. and I think Eric Gentry was all over the place. Yeah. But there were also a couple of times, including on that long run where a lineman gets his hands on him. And then he got washed out. Yeah, and he's not going anywhere. Uh, so if he's stronger, he gains – and he, he's, got, he's got some sneaky strength too from what I've, I've been told from some of the players that even though he's rail thin, you know, he's pretty strong. Slim strength. But, you know, as he continues – if he can put on some more weight, 
especially if you're going to be a middle linebacker, if that's his position at the next level, you know, if you get to the next level, those offensive linemen will destroy you because yeah. they will get their hands on you, even though you have that length, and they will be able to pound you. So it, it's something that for his future, he does have to put on weight. So I don't know what his mom said about it. Who, He's wiry. Wiry. That's right. uh, but definitely, I mean, even the coaches have said he needs to gain weight. So it's not like yeah. that's anything new. He needs to put on weight. Him and Shane were just attacking all the outside runs, and they were stopping everything. And Rice then decided that hey, we're just going to run it up the middle. I think that's when the offensive lineman got to the second level. And when you're his size, sometimes you're going to get blocked. And I think that's a, a little bit of what happened. But I think that him and Shane adjusted pretty well, and they were ferocious early on against the outside run. I mean, the. Throughout the fall camp, there started when there was discussion about, oh, is, is Shane Lee going to be a starter? You know, is it going to be, you know, this three linebacker rotation? What's going to be? And I think people kind of fell off a little bit on Shane Lee and what he, what the potential he brings to this team. And I think you saw it on Saturday. Outside of the pick six, that was great to, to see for him to get that. But just the way he read his read and react ability to just attack downhill, it was so good. And I think, you know, he he brought the energy. That's something I didn't know that we would see necessarily either, because he's kind of a, you know, when he talks, he's a low voice and he's pretty, you know, reserved in his comments when you talk to him. But then when he got on the field and he made a couple of plays, he was, you know, pumped up. You know, like I said, it sounded pretty much like a growl when, uh, you know, when he went off and made a play. So I, I thought it was uh, interesting to see the dynamic where people were give it, you know, saying you're not as high on him as much, you know, going into the game. And then suddenly he made some plays. And I think people realize what, what he's going to bring to this team. A couple more questions, then we'll get out of here. Uh, CT Shoddy, do you guys think it was a legit targeting call on Romello Height or a Pac-12 ref thing? Jack, maybe you can answer this one because you probably got the the advantage of seeing replays and stuff up there. Whereas there was some on the scoreboard, but I couldn't really tell. There it looked to me like it was, but it got I don't him on know. the chin. It looked like so. it, yeah, it looked like it was it was kind of an upward shot on the chin. Funny enough, the the TV broadcast I don't think showed a, showed a, a commercial or a a replay of it. I think they went right to commercial. <laughs> okay, they came back. He was tossed for targeting. I was like, "This is what the Pac-12 network is doing right now." But uh, I, I think it was. I think it was a good, like a good call. And it was. You know, it's not great to see that shoot themselves in the foot kind of mistake from a mellow height, especially on a third and twenty-four. But that was the last one uh, for the entire game, which I thought was. I thought that was noteworthy that the offense didn't make many mistakes like that outside of when the backup offensive line came in, and that was really the last one from the defense. Uh, Cam want to know how many. How does Caleb Williams keep all the weapons happy? A lot of mouths to feed. And then Lamont had a question similar. Uh, do you think Jordan Addison will be happy with the number of catches and yards he will get playing with us as opposed us being USC, as opposed to what he did last year when he was the primary guy? And the, the biggest thing is if you're winning, mm -hmm. it cures pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. People are perfectly fine, and uh, Gerard brought this up on one podcast a while back, and the way he described it was really well, and I'm not going to be as eloquent as he was on it, but if you're happy, people are willing to take a little bit less. But when you're losing, you go, well, if I was out there. I'm going to get mine. If I was out there, I'd be – no, not necessarily I'm going to get mine, but if I was out there, this would be different. So you're not happy being a backup anymore because you like I would have been the difference maker in that game. I'm better than that guy. Whereas if you know you're in a rotation too, you're like, all right, I'm gonna get my chances. I just gotta keep showing out, keep showing out. Yeah. And it's as long as there's, you're spreading the ball around like Caleb Williams did, you're not getting the infamous was it Daquan Hampton quote uh, of when he was playing with Cody Kessler. He said, you know, he was looking at Juju and I forget the other wide receiver he was looking at all the time. He said, I'm basically out there running routes to get it on tape. 
So if you have people that are upset and that's happening, that's a completely different thing. If you're spreading the ball around, people will run those routes hard. They'll run the decoy routes hard. And then sometimes those decoy routes become the scramble drill routes, especially with someone like Caleb Williams. And suddenly you get open over the middle, 40-yard gain, you go, or really brown, just a little dump off from Miller Moss and you take it 40 yards. So I, I think that as long as they're winning and playing well, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining too much about it because Jordan Addison knows he's putting stuff on tape for the next season. He's already got his, his hardware. I'm sure he wouldn't mind winning another one, but I don't think it's it's something that he necessarily He'll get his goal. touches. He'll get his yeah. touches for sure. And especially in bigger games. Yeah. You know, they're He'll be lean on him a lot more, yeah. yeah. Uh, SoCal Dad, did, did Rajon Davis play? He did not play on defense, but he was in on special teams a lot, on s- several different things. You know, if he continues to make an impact there, that'll help him towards the, the thing. But I think they wanted to get as many reps as possible for Eric Gentry and Shane Lee. Um, you know, one, because Gentry hasn't played middle linebacker, and two, because Shane Lee hasn't basically played in a game at middle linebacker much in the last two years. So uh, I think they wanted to get those guys, maybe even get Raylan Goforth some more confidence after he had struggled last year. So I I think all three of those guys, they wanted to play a little bit more. So even later in the game, they didn't really sub out the linebackers when they subbed out a bunch of the other guys. And last one, what did you think of the offensive line pulling and blocking? Steven thought it looked very good. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Any thoughts on the the offense lineman? And you know, it's a little bit different scheme for USC yeah. with the amount of pulls that they're doing versus the Graham Harrell, where it's more straightforward stuff. And I thought that you know the ones that I've watched, a lot of good pin pin and pull type of stuff. Uh, I thought the way that the side they were pulling to, the way they were crashing down, because when you're when you have someone pulling. You you want to try to crash that line down. That way, you make the distance shorter for the puller. Because if, if I'm the right tackle and I push my guy here, now that pull, it's that much shorter. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just go straight ahead and I get stonewalled, now the puller, and you've got an offensive lineman, you got Andrew Voorhees pulling from the opposite side, he's got to go in a complete extra gap before he can then turn up field to try to get him. You want to do it as quick as possible because you know, you got someone like Raleigh Brown running behind you or Travis Dye. Those guys are a little bit faster than Andrew Voorhees, just a little bit. Uh, so you want to try to make that, that, that trip as short as possible for those. And I thought that was one of the things they did really well in those pulls. Uh, and that's something, that, again, I'll, I'll study a little bit more throughout the week, uh, reviewing the, the games and stuff. But you know, I, I thought for the first uh, first showing, the offensive line w- was re- was pretty good to really good. I wouldn't okay. say great, but pretty good to really good, somewhere in there. And you know they'll have to improve on a couple of things, but it was also the opponent that helps out with it. But first time in that offense, and I thought they did perfectly fine. The offense, when did they punt? When the twos were in the when fourth the quarter, okay, then I think the offense did pretty good all across the off board. Off the top of your head, do you know who graded out the best? Not off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, I've got to assume it's Caleb Williams. Only three incompletions. Uh, I'm, I'm at the, on the, oh, on the offensive line. line. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the offensive line, Cortland Ford, actually. It was, it was definitely Caleb Williams. I believe he had an NFL grade. Yeah, he had a 93. But again, wow. let's hold off on the grades until we see the re-rank of them and you know, we get to actually watch it ourselves because the grades aren't everything. They're they're in a, in a tool to use. I think the offense definitely shined in pass protection as well. Like we mentioned, Caleb Williams only on the ground once when it wasn't his choice to go to the ground. So I, <laughs> I thought they were really good. The running backs too, even though there weren't a ton of holes, that Austin Jones one where he waited behind center Brent Nealon for two seconds, it seemed like, and then bounced it out. Uh, the running backs did a great job. But the shock is that all the questions we got, I mean, we're coming up on about an hour and a half. So Yeah, we got a couple more, but that's, that's pretty much it. We're going to wrap it up there. Last one, Oscar, is there a surprise wide receiver that could cr- crack the starting lineup? They, went, they started the game with four wide receivers. 
you had Brendan Rice, you had, you know, you had, you had, what was it, two, three, and four? Brendan Rice, three, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and then the fourth receiver was Taj Washington. And I thought Taj Washington had a really nice, you know, first quarter, uh, went off, didn't do much the rest of the game, so but have a drop. it just shows you the potential. And if he didn't drop that one, there was some space mm-hmm. on that one. That was a well-designed play as well. But I thought it was interesting that they were using him for a couple of those different type of plays where you want to get the ball in space to a certain guy where, you know, he lined up as the H back one point and they split out the tight end doing some different things to create space for him. Um, so I thought it was interesting that he was the fourth guy. And I think that the fact that they ran plays for him tells you what they think of him. So if you want to say, since Technically, the depth chart only had three guys. If you want to count him as the fourth one and say he cracks it, the other one would be Kyron Ware Hudson. Like I said, uh, just doing a little bit of everything that you look for for a receiver to do. I would agree. Very reliable over the middle of the field. That one third down was fantastic. If you want a super dark horse, maybe C.J. Williams, who caught his first career pass. One of two true freshmen to play. Thanks to Miller Moss. And I thought Miller Moss played really well in his his chance. His first extended time that he's had, um, you, you know, in this offense. And thought he looked really good, too. Well, I think that's going to wrap up the show. It was great to recap. Big win for USC, 66-14 to over the Rice Owls this week. we got practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. There will be highlights coming out of that, post-practice interviews, instant analysis, and we'll be back here on Thursday to preview the game against Stanford. But USC 1-0 on the season. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to leave a like, whether you're on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, and make sure to come on on Thursday. We'll take live callers again. It was really a great show. Coming up on that one-and-a-half-hour one mark, but thank make, you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys like and subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, all those things also like we said earlier 75 percent off this weekend so make sure that you guys are subscribing if you're not a member of the piece so you can get all the vip content we had immediate takeaways after the game chris had the uh the game day ghost notes those are all vip content so make sure that you're checking out those things as well if you you know sign up now 75 percent off on an annual membership to uscfootball.com we hope that you guys join us for what should be it seems like it will be a fun season going off uh, of what we saw today uh, or yesterday at the coliseum